Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. reading from Ephesians chapter 4 verses or chapter 3 verses 4 through 21 14 through 21 for this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the through his holy spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen This is the word of God. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning again. Um, uh, Well, again, well, thanks for having us here. Thanks, Willie, for just hanging out and uh, listening to God's word. Uh, It's a great, my great honor and privilege to to give you God's word this morning. Um, and thanks for, as I just mentioned earlier in the little missions moment, just thanks for your support. Uh, it's deeply encouraging to know that we have people, uh, even here uh, on the other side of the river, that uh, prays for us, supports us, encourages us as we minister to students uh, at UNF. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue your journey through the little letter of, of Ephesians. And through the letter of Ephesians, there's a a rich letter that Paul wrote on the city, this church in Ephesus in the very first century. Um, And what Paul was trying to do is that he was trying to encourage this little church. Uh, And in that church, there was two groups of people um, who had a, a history of hatred and division between them. And throughout this letter, Paul is asking this question, how does the many to live as one? Or in other words, how does... How can we live together with our differences differently? How does the gospel come in and changes things? And one thing I thought about this morning or this week as I was preparing for this, uh, for the sermon, that it's to me it's interesting that every New Testament document, the gospels, the letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation, all the little letters that Paul wrote, uh, were all written um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a world that was uh, fooled with uh, an illegal religion in a hostile world. Um, often we think what these letters were written were so long ago that there is no connection to our world today. Uh, 
One thing that I'm doing with my family is I've introduced my family to this show back in the 80s called MacGyver. Uh, It is so old that I have to go to the library and check out DVDs. Um, And my kids, now they know what DVDs are. Uh, I'm connecting them to to my world, as it were. Um, There's similarities and there's differences. And the power of the Bible itself, in particular this letter, is that there's a connection that Paul's world was not too much different than our world. Uh, Paul and the, F, the, the little, this little city was filled with pluralism. It was filled with every temptation under the sun. It was a big port city. Does that remind you of a city that's full of pluralism, full of every temptation under the sun, full of division and hatred? It's just like our world today, just like the city of Jacksonville. Uh, they didn't have the Jags. Uh, but we do. Um, and so we see here in chapter 3 of, of Ephesians that Paul introduces this prayer. He, he brings this prayer to pray for this, um, this little church. And perhaps you have the same problem as I do, is that my mind often wonders as I pray. And here what we see is that Paul is actually doing that. Actually, he started this prayer back in verse 1 of chapter 3. Uh, And then one commentator talked about this glorious tangent that Paul went on from verses 2 through 13, that he starts talking about his own ministry of how Jesus has come and and brought him to life and what he is doing. And then here we see this prayer perfectly located in this letter. Uh, Again, just to remind you of what you've been looking at here in in Ephesians chapter 1 through 2, you've seen what Paul has kind of laid out of kind of this core belief, this doctrine of what you should believe as God's people. Uh, he talked about you being dead in your sins and trespasses, but Christ has made you alive. And then in chapters four and five, as I'm assuming Willie will come back and he'll co- turn the practical side of what it looks like of this gospel as we consider uh, how it's practically, how it's worked out in our relationships uh, with our marriages, of our coworkers, of our neighbors, and so on. Um, and so here, Paul, in the midst of that transition is praying praying this prayer that the people here in this little church would be changed that it would be radically changed by the renewal of the gospel and the question i have for you this morning is this is have you ever asked that question why is it so hard to change how can i change how can i progress in the christian life and why do i or why do we as the church here in in town Keep on doing the same stuff over and over again. Um, as one, you're going to love this. I was, as I was preparing for this sermon, I found this illustration. Um, uh, it's the diary of Samuel Johnson. Uh, he was an 18th century famous author and poet and biographer, but he was also a Christian. Um, and now today we still have a copy of his diary. Which is kind of interesting. Hundreds of years later, I don't know if I don't write a diary, but if I did, um, I I don't want anybody to read it now. And surely enough, I don't want anybody to read it a hundred years later. But here, um, Samuel Johnson wrote this, and listen to this progression. It's his diary over forty something years, forty three years. So uh, Samuel Johnson starts this way in. Uh, in 1738, he wrote this, O oh Lord, enable me to redeem the time 
which I've spent in sloth. Very 18th century language. Uh, It's good that he stayed consistent uh, there, even in his diary. 19 years later, he wrote, Almighty God, enable me to shake off sloth and redeem the time misspent in idleness and sin. Two years later, after that, enable me to shake off idleness and sloth. Five years later, my laziness has sucked into grosser slugginess. My purpose from time, this time forward is to avoid idleness and to rise early, no later than six. One year after that, 27 years after his original post of his first entry, I purpose to rise at eight because I thought I shall not rise early. It would be much, much earlier than I rise now because I often lay until two. I probably didn't have kids at that moment. Um, Four years after that, I'm not yet in a state to form any resolutions, but my purpose and hope, those to rise early in the morning at eight. Um, so now he's not making resolutions, he's hoping and wishing. Six years after that, I, when I look back at my resolutions and, and have improved with much year after year, I've been, year after year, been made and broken. Why do I yet to resolve again and try because reformation is necessary. And then in 1781, 43 years after his original post, um, and three years before his death, he writes, help me, help me, oh my God. I resolve to rise at eight or sooner and to avoid idleness. And so here, 43 years, this guy writing, writing about his idleness and his sluggishness. And so why do I bring this up? Because I know the feeling. And I assume you know the feeling as well. That if we looked at each other's diaries, we would see a constant theme of struggle, of weariness, of, of hoping and wishing that things would be better, of frustration that there's not much progression being made. And so this morning, we're going to look at this little prayer that Paul gives to this church in Ephesus that he's encouraging them that progression, that Christian growth is possible, that we don't have to stay idle, but we can move forward. So this morning we're going to look at, Nikki's an English teacher, and so we're going to look at the, the what, the where, and the who in this passage. So first we're going to look at what is the source? What is the source that Paul gives us for us to, to change, to, to progress in the Christian life? Again, listen to verses 14 through 16. Paul writes, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, and according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so here Paul writes, the very, for us to grow, for us to mature, the one thing that we will need, the source that we have to have, is the very power of God for us to experience the wonder and love of God, that God has to come in and for us to feel the very power of him. And again, this is not an intellectual power, this is not a political power, but it's an alien power. It's a power from without, a power outside of us. And only God is the one who is powerful enough to come in and to restart our hearts, as it were. And we have already seen this. Paul has already told us here in Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 2, he said, he reminded us that we were dead in our sins and trespasses um, in which you used to walk 
But verse four, but God, rich in his mercy, because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ by grace that you have been saved. And that's good news, isn't it? That the only way we can feel the wonder and the power of his transferring love is to feel the very power of God. Again, that same God who in Genesis 1 and 2, as we read, who has created all things, he spoke and there it was. The same God that we read in Colossians 1, who's holding all things together in the very palm of his hands. The good days and the bad, and even our journals, our diaries, that he is holding those things together. The same power that he is gonna come back and to make all things right as we read in Revelation 21. And just two weeks ago, the same God who, who gave him the power for Jesus to rise again from the dead. So here, 2,000 years later, we might talk about him and his grace and his mercy in front of us. And so Paul is convinced that the only way, the, the only source that we can for us to be transformed, for us to be renewed, for us to be refreshed is to experience the very power of God. Paul prays for us to be strengthened by the very power of God. And so what's this power gonna do? Uh, verse 17, to, so that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Uh, often we feel the opposite in this world. Uh, we often feel frustrated, wandering through, wondering if anybody might love us. Verse 18, having the strength to comprehend the very love of Christ. And then verse 19, for you to be filled with the fullness of God. And so first, for us to, to, to progress, for us to, to grow, for us to uh, make progress in this world, we're gonna have to experience the very power of God. And again, here Paul prays, and uh, for you to, to know, you know we've, we've met a couple times, um, I don't know everybody in here exactly. But some of you might in here being, uh, being Christians for a very long time. Uh, some of you might be new to Christianity. And you might be wondering if you have experienced this very pow power of God. And here throughout Paul's prayer, he, he stresses the reality that, that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and radically transforms us to change us. And what we see what the Holy Spirit does throughout the Gospels and particularly the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit brags about who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will continue to do. And so for you, for a little clue, if you have experience, the power of God is that you brag about Jesus, that you brag about what he has done, is doing, and will continue to do in your life and the life here at Christ Church in town. That he is doing radical things, that he's bringing dead people to life, that he is restoring things that are broken and that he is giving us a picture, a posture, a confidence that the way, that this is not the way it's always gonna be. And because of that, we brag about our savior, our redeemer and friend of Jesus. So first we see the what, the source of our change. Second, the where, where is this gonna happen? Uh, where is this change gonna take place? Uh, verses 17 through 19, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love and that by strength to comprehend with all the saints 
what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Have you ever wondered or pray, pray to ask that one little situation might change? It might be that the place you're living. It might be the, that roommate that you live with. It might be that job. Um, and you wonder, God, only if, only if this one thing might be a little different, then I could progress. Then I could change. Then I could make a little movement in my life. Um, but here it's interesting that Paul doesn't pray for something from the outside to change, but for the inside to change. Um, Paul prays for this little Christian community that he doesn't pray for their outside situation to change. He doesn't change for the, the political climate to change. He doesn't pray for the, the sins, the, the temptations to become less out there. But he prays uh, that something would change inside them. Verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And here the Greek word Paul uses here for dwell is an interesting word because he could have used a different word that's more about hanging out, as it were. You know, like, yo, me and my friends at UNF, we were dwelling together. Um, but that's not the word he uses here. He uses a, a, a more permanent, or another way of putting it is that, you know, the, a, the, he could have used a, another Greek word that would communicate a, kind of a temporary living situation. Uh, you know, maybe like uh, an Airbnb uh, in our, com our current modern day. But the word here that Paul uses for dwell is described as a permanent resident. Uh, that here, that the Spirit ministers, that he would fill up our hearts as he takes permanent residence in your being, uh, in your In your, um, that you may be filled with, that you dwell in your hearts through faith. Um, so I don't know if you remember your days back in college, um, um, but um, living in your dorm room was not permanent residence. Uh, um, you lived in a certain way, you piled clothes in a certain corner because um, it was temporary. Um, and life back at home with mom and dad was, it was different. It gave you a different sense of confidence. Um, most of us are also, maybe some of you were, remember that, that first week or two or month as you got married and, and somebody moved in, uh, you and your spouse moved in the same house and things were different. Uh, channels on the TV were different. The cups in the sink were different. Uh, the decorations were different. And things radically change when somebody comes and takes permanent residence with you. And here, this is what Paul is getting to. He is in, he's showing us that when Christ comes into our interbeing, um, that things radically change. They radically transform. And so most of us, again, are fully aware when someone moves in with us, either our spouse or a new roommate, or, um, and takes up... Um, residence with us, but how much more do things change when Jesus Christ comes and moves into our hearts? Uh, C.S. Lewis has a, a great illustration of this reality in mere Christianity. Uh, uh, he gives this example of kind of, um, uh, 
he writes this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. Um, basically, he's given this illustration of as a person takes on Jesus, invites Jesus into their life, uh, he talks about this imagery of a house. Uh, and C.S. Lewis says this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? And the explanation is that he's building a quite different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. And so here, this little beautiful illustration captures what, what happens when Christ comes in to our hearts. He doesn't simply make minor repairs into our lives, but he comes to transform us completely. Uh, he comes, and um, again, we thought he was just making a humbling dwelling, but he's coming to make a palace suit enough for a king, the king of the universe. And only then, only then when Christ comes into our hearts, when he comes into our inner beings, that we can understand, that we can comprehend the very love of Christ. Again, as Paul puts it, surpasses knowledge. That we can see the, the depth, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of God. Uh, we can see that the love which is wide enough to embrace the whole world John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might, shall not perish but have eternal life. That this love is long enough to last forever. Uh, and this love which is high enough to take sinners to heaven. And this love is deep enough to take Christ to the very depths to reach the very lowest sinner. Again, that beautiful picture in Philippians 2 that Christ even took that of a servant, uh, took that position as a servant to redeem us, to save us, to make us whole again. Um, and so we see the what, that the very source of our transformation is the very power of God. We see the where, is that our God is gonna come into our very inner beings. Um, and then thirdly, we're gonna see the who. Who with does this radical transformation change? And throughout this prayer, Paul prays um, to the, the Ephesians to comprehend the very love of Christ. But he does it in a very unique way. In a, see, in our modern day, we think about our relationship with Jesus as kind of just a, a you and me reality, that we're very individualistic. But Paul is not that way. It's a very corporate, real family thing, as it were. Here in verse 18 he says that, that we would comprehend the very love of Christ with all the saints. Again, we're not isolated individuals, but we are fellow citizens belonging to one family. And Christ's love is not just for us only, but he's for all of us. That is, um, and this is to me the, the remarkable thing about Christianity. Um, again, there, I think there's many things that if you think about how God does it, um, it's not the way I would do it. 
But what he does is that for us to taste and see that the Lord is good, for us to be radically transformed is that, that God is gonna use the people who are sitting right next to you, in front of you, behind you. And even think about it, there's people in this room that the only, know, the only reason you have met them is because of Christ. Because you have walked in this building understanding that you, that you think about your life as Samuel Johnson and you wake up day and day and you're still struggling. Um, it's another Sunday and life is just passing us by as it were. And that we all march in this room together understanding that we actually need the same thing. It's a, a bold, bold declaration that we're not the way. Um, one thing that we say at RUF, it's, it's okay not to be okay. And by coming into this room and sitting in those chairs, you're declaring that together, that it's okay not to be okay, and that God's gonna actually use weak, sinful people all around you to radically transform you. And I would imagine if we had the opportunity to tell stories that there's people in this room that have radically changed your life. Not because of their love, but because of Christ's love working in and through them to transform you. And that when we, the reality is that we need one another to, again, to see the, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Um, and what we're doing here, again, um, we learn things. I think, again, the gospel is so powerful that, he, that God is putting all those differences of the world, black and white, Greek and Jew, male and female, rich and poor, young and old, widows and singles, and he's forming us a beautiful community so that we can learn from all those differences, that we can learn from the people who are not like us, and, and God is gonna actually use those differences to transform us to renew us, to refresh us, to give us a glimpse of what he's doing and that what he will do in the new heavens and the new earth. Again, because we are united to Christ together. Throughout the book of Ephesians and throughout most of Paul's letters, he uses this phrase of that you are in Christ. And time and time again, that, that you is not singular. That you are in Christ that we are in Christ together, and that when we leave this place, we can leave with the great posture knowing that I'm not in this alone, that I have dear brothers and sisters. And again, throughout this prayer, what we see Paul doing is using very communal language. Verses 14 and 15, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so the good news is that as Christians, we belong to a wonderful community that we have the same Father taking care of us. That same Father who providentially is caring for me and my family is the same God who's providentially caring for you and for your family. The God who is with me and for me, who's going with me every step of the way is the same God who's also with you. And what God is doing is that he is bringing us side by side, as it were, for us to remind one another as we're stating in a real way that it, as we take the communion in a second, that's okay not to be okay, that we can taste and see that the Lord is good and that we can do that together. And so, so the who, God is using the people right next to you and he will use the people right next to you 
to radically transform you. And so as the church, um, so we see that every family we see with all the saints in verse 21, to him the glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations. It's good to be part of a grander story and a grander family. Again, the very beginning, the prayer that, uh, that we would be with um, uh, every family in heaven and on earth. Uh, that we have a, a long, rich story. Uh, that in some sense, Christ Church in town is maybe only 10 years old, but you guys are much older than that. We have a family that goes all the way back to the very beginning and that we have seen from the very beginning. Uh, and again, the, the Bible is such a, if I was going to write a story, I would not have write the story that we see in the Bible. Because time and time again, what we see is people who, who don't do it right. They listen to the wrong voice. They, they end with wondering, what is, is it going to get any better than this? And time and time again, our God shows up. Our Heavenly Father shows up and takes care of us. And so we need the church and we need each other to change. So as we close, we need to remember that we have a God, but we have a, a living God. Our God is neither inactive or uh, nor unconcerned. Paul, in this prayer, is praying for radical change for his people. And he remembers that same God has worked throughout generations. He also remembers that this, again, as you think through that, as I just kind of alluded to, as we think of the, the generations of this grand story of the Bible, the, the God who is going to come and change you and change me, as I, I live in the, the own weakness of my own interbeing, that, that Jesus is going to come and take permanent residence in such a way to slowly and to surely remake me, to make me into what he's already declared me to be, and we see that he's done this before. Remember all the way at the very beginning. Um, we have a God who, who created the whole world. He spoke and, and he said it was good. And it was good. And then when he created male and female, it was very good. We have the same God who provided Abraham a, a sacrifice, a, a, a substitute, just at the right time. We have the same God who saved Israel from Exodus, of crossing the Red Sea, of the, the, the Passover lamb, of providing for the very rescue of the firstborn. We have the same God who sent the one and only Jesus into the world to live for us and to die for us, to rise again for us, and to be seated right now at the right hand of God for us so we can cry out to him and that we can pray to him just like here Paul does. We have the same God who raised Jesus from the dead and the same God who raised you from, from spiritual death into spiritual life. And that same God who has started this church, this great church, 10 years ago, is the same God who will be with you as you move forward. And so it's no surprise here as, as Paul is considering this wonder of this God who works generation to generation, that he is faithful and that he is true, that he ends in doxology. Uh, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we might ask or think according to the power that at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. So again, just imagine 
Imagine where you might want to be a year from now, 20 years from now, 47 years from now. Think and imagine where you want Christ Church in town to be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 47 years from now. Paul is saying he is able to do far more than you can ever ask or think. I can think and ask a lot of really good things for Christ Church in town. I can ask and think a lot of really good things for myself. But our God is going to give me and give you much, much more. So this morning, accept this invitation of a God who comes, who dwells within you, to make his home in you, to change you, to renew you. And not just you, but this church. And not just this church, but this world. And so listen, so listen to this one, this one of my favorite hymns uh, as an invitation to let Christ come to take his dwelling within you. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, again, we thank you so much. Uh, we thank you that you are a God who's with us and for us. I thank you that you have time and time again have given us uh, your word. It's, it's just powerful. Um, often we scratch our head wondering what you are doing or what you're saying. Um, and then you, through your spirit, uh, it comes off the page as it were. And this morning, I, I pray that we would be reminded of your amazing love. Uh, I pray for Christ Church in town. I pray that, that as they continue to walk through Ephesians, that you would continue to walk through their own hearts, uh, that they would taste and see how good you are as they speak with one another, as they share each other's lives, as they consider the very great things of God of your faithfulness, that you are a God who's with them and for them and a God who is in them. And as we live in a world uh, full with the complexities, as we live in a city, as we uh, are part of just a world that is longing for things to be made right, may you give us the confidence knowing that you take weak and wounded sinners who are sick and sore and that you have joined us with your power and might to redeem us and to save us and to make us whole again. We pray all this in your great and wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at Christchurchintown.org.